and it ended up snowballing into something that I hadn't intended. I ended up, um, one of my photos of uh, Wiz Khalifa ended up being published in Rolling Stone um, a few months after that. And so that obviously, you know, helped fuel the fire in a sense for me to, you know, want to start doing this more often. And for the next, you know, year and a half, two years, I ended up doing music photography a lot more and was doing it as a job, I guess. Um, and, you know, I had the opportunity to shoot multiple different festivals or concerts, venues, um, and meet some really cool people in the industry. And it was, it was a really good time. What's going on, guys? It's Johnson here, and welcome back to Product of a Dream. First and foremost, I would like to wish everyone a happy holidays on behalf of Product of a Dream and Miami's Not America. I hope everyone has made the most out of their year so far, and I pray for a joyful holiday season for you and your families. A simple photo can change the way we see something forever. They tell a story. They bring back memories. They hold influence. Every photo has a meaning. On this episode, I got to speak with Max Blixberg, a South Florida psychology student whose work as a photographer in music has landed him in Rolling Stones magazine, but now is embarking on wildlife photography. We got to speak about how his family influenced who he is today, the switch from music to wildlife, and what's next. Check it out. you want to be a psychology major um throughout high school I had the really cool opportunity to take some psychology classes mm -hmm. and it always was extremely interesting to me right um and I find that the way that people interact with other people has always been something that I've wanted to learn more about mm -hmm. and how we uh you know think or how our thought processes work so I thought might as well potentially make a career out of it and study it right was there any like particular moment where you were like damn like psychology is for me like yes mm -hmm. um junior year of high school i had a professor named uh mr clager who um was my first psychology teacher and the way that he explained uh some of the lessons just made me really interested in it mm -hmm. um and he ended up passing away actually in the middle of our semester which really kind of took a toll on uh, mm -hmm. me and some of the other students but it also in a way kind of made me want to push even more into the subject and learn more about it in the hopes that I don't know it just it seemed interesting and I right. felt like I was missing a crucial piece of it mm -hmm. that I didn't get to learn from him so I thought you know might as well keep going through with it but right just through learning from him I was so um you know interested from it I guess mm -hmm. that it just I wanted to keep going and seeing what else uh there is involved in the subject right. and it, it's really expansive there's obviously so many different aspects to psychology that um you know, aren't really looked into. And I thought this could be, you know, a really interesting and unique thing for me to study and go over. As it pertains to psychology, what do you want to look into? Um, I'm kind of at odds between a couple of different focuses right now. Um, obviously, I'm getting my undergrad in just uh, psychology, mm -hmm. but my hope is to um, either look into experimental psychology or industrial organizational psychology, which is the focus of, uh, you know, making sure that employees are working at their peak performance in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, if I were to do something from the experimental side, it would be, uh, you know, coordinating experiments for different companies to see, you know, whether a new medication is working or a new uh, way of 
testing is working properly and I would be the one coordinating those um, those experiments and kind of setting them up so mm-hmm. that we could gather, gather data mm-hmm. and kind of go over that. Right. Um, but to be honest, I'm not entirely sure yet. There's so many different aspects of psychology that I'd like to still dabble on and see whether or not it's something that's more interesting. I find um, perception to be super interesting and mm-hmm. how different people perceive things differently and how that you know be it visual stimuli or uh, auditory stimuli mm-hmm. will be picked up by one person differently than another right so that's another thing that i'm you know kind of interested in looking into mm-hmm. but as of right now i'm obviously still open to seeing what potentials right. there are for it as it pertains to what you've learned so far um have you applied anything um yeah i'd say that i apply everything that i learned to everyday life right. i mean it's you do you find of, like humans weirder I don't find them weirder. I think that we're all very unique in our own ways. Um, It definitely lets me put a different perspective onto things. I think uh, prior to maybe me studying it, I had a little less patience for people. And I was just like, you know, why are you acting the way that you do? Mm -hmm. But there's definitely, um, you know, something that clicks eventually where you're like, oh, maybe this person's doing this because of, you know, a whole variety of different things that are not anything to do with you. And Mm -hmm. it's just the way they are, the way they're set up. So it, it definitely makes me think differently i guess maybe a little bit more critically about how uh, i would want to interact with someone or how i would want someone to interact with me mm-hmm. and it also lets me um i almost want to say tailor how i speak to someone or how i communicate or interact with someone in a different way than had i just gone in you know completely blind or not you know mm-hmm. understanding it i think it allows me to um have a better understanding of who i'm talking to when i'm talking to people it gets a little tricky when I'm speaking, you know, in groups with multiple people because mm-hmm. then I have to kind of, you, you don't know if you want to tweak it to one person or if right. you want to just kind of keep it broad. Um, but yeah, I'd say it definitely has. Is it safe to say that you've become a better person? Yeah, I'd say so. I think that also came just with time. Um, but I also definitely think that studying psychology has allowed me to uh, change the way that I interact and react to people mm-hmm. um, in in my opinion, in a better light. And right. it could be different for, you know, different people. But my right. perspective is I've definitely changed, um, you know, who I am a little bit based mm-hmm. off of what I've been studying. Right. So now that we know this about you now, um, let's kind of backtrack a little bit. Who are you? Where are you from? Um, I'm Max Blakesburg. Mm-hmm. I'm a 23-year-old student living in Boca Raton, Florida. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised uh, here in South Florida in Boca. Gotcha. Um, I went to school here up until my junior year of high school, where I transferred to a uh, boarding school um, in Asheville, North Carolina. It was um, it was a really interesting time, to say the least. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, uh, having some difficulties growing up uh, with learning and with um, and with the school that I was at and with social interactions with people so uh, it ended up being a a decision for me to go to uh, another school where I was able to be with uh, a less amount of people I guess there was 25 kids at our school so it was a very condensed group of people that we were with and who made that decision it was more my parents Uh, it was definitely more my parents Mm -hmm. Um, looking back on it and I've told them before I think it was a fantastic decision on their part really? um, you know I think at the time I was obviously you know really frustrated with it I was comfortable where I was at and although I wasn't making the best of decisions it was my home and I wanted to continue to stay there but ultimately I think it was smart on their end to set me or to send me there because in a sense it pretty much set me up for what my belief is the successful path that I went down right. and I am extremely grateful that they ended up giving me the opportunity to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's definitely shaped me 
uh, into who I am now. Right. What type of influence have your parents had on you in your life? My parents have had a major influence in my life. Um, they're both extremely supportive of everything that I do, which is insane because the work that I do is just not something that I think a normal parent would expect their mm-hmm. child to do. But um, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunities they've given me. And I'm really grateful for the fact that they've been willing to let me kind of take these risks. Mm-hmm. Um, but so my mother uh, is a photographer as well. She's mm-hmm. a professional portrait photographer. Um, so it's been really great kind of learning uh, photography and being able to balance my thoughts and ideas off mm-hmm. of hers. We both have our own very unique styles to shooting, but it's really cool to get feedback from someone who you know both works in the industry and knows me personally so that she can see where I want to add my personal touch to my work. Right. Um, my dad is more the business end of things. He owns his own accounting firm. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely more of you know a numbers guy. Yeah. Um, but he's also... He's got his head on straight. He, you know, understands what I need to do to properly run a business. And he understands that I definitely have some uh, things that I struggle with, especially with numbers or, you know, mm-hmm. financing, whatever it might be, making right. sure that I can, you know, set myself up for success. And he's, you know, the voice of reason, the voice of logic. He's there to make sure that, you know, I'm doing the right thing. Um, and they're both, they've both been fantastic and kind of helping me guide, guiding me to, you know, where I am and what I hopefully continue to be doing. Right. Now, it's funny because we kind of started off this podcast talking about what you're doing now and you being a student, but you're no ordinary student. You also have a life outside of school, which is what made me want to talk to you for the most part, because what you do is interesting. And you mentioned that your parents are supportive of what you do. So what do you do? So, um, yeah, I'm not really the, I guess, standard student to say the least. Mm-hmm. On top of that, I, you know, run my own photography company and, um, you know, do a variety of work, music photography, outdoor and underwater photography, mm-hmm. fine art photography, and right. kind of all over the place with my work. Um, I've been doing it for, I want to say about nine years now, right. professionally, maybe for three or four of those years. Mm-hmm. But um, obviously photography has been a big influence in my life. Right. Like I said, my mother is a professional photographer. Uh-huh. Um, my uncle is also a professional photographer, so it almost runs in the family. Um, my current focus is on underwater photography mm-hmm. and you know, using my work to help gain insight into the natural world and at the same time um, you know, provide a voice so that it can almost be heard, mm-hmm. I guess, in a sense, that right. people can realize that there are issues that are going on in the world and hopefully my work can speak to them in some sense. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, my goal is to be a visual storyteller right. to say the least. So right. I hope that with every experience that I have shooting, um, people can look at these photos and be like, wow, there you know, must be some sort of story behind this. And it's not just, you know, a photo of something. Right. Exactly. Do you remember your first major gig? Um, my first major gig I'd say was probably in the music scene. Uh, I applied to work Okeechobee Fest in, I think it was 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, Okeechobee Fest is a music festival that was done in Okeechobee, Florida. I had applied to it as a joke, I guess. it was. I, I had never done anything in music before, and I was like, hey, might as well send my name in and see what happens. Right. Um, a couple months later, I got an email back saying that out of uh, the hundreds of applicants that had been submitted, um, my name was chosen, and they would like me to work it um, pro bono and just, you know, as an experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ended up being a fantastic experience, to say the least. It was really, really awesome to um, see how music photography runs, how the music industry runs. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to a festival before, so this was, you know, from both aspects of it, really neat. And it being a camping festival kind of really gave it the true air of uh, a music festival. And it ended up snowballing into something that I hadn't intended. I ended up um, 
one of my photos of uh, Wiz Khalifa ended up being published in Rolling Stone um, a few months after that. And so that obviously, you know, helped fuel the fire in a sense for me to, you know, want to start doing this more often. And for the next, you know, year and a half, two years, I ended up doing music photography a lot more and was doing it as a job, I guess. Um, and, you know, I had the opportunity to shoot multiple different festivals or concerts, venues, um, and meet some really cool people in the industry. And it mm-hmm. was it was a really good time. What was it like when you saw your work published in Rolling Stone? Um, it was like a dream come true, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was really shocked, to say mm-hmm. the least. I'm really self-critical about my work, and I feel like uh, there's a lot that I can change or would like to have changed with my work, but to see it recognized by um, other people and to see it, you know, actually be on a print was just really, really cool, I guess. And I was being how young I am also, I was just, I was really just, I was shocked mm-hmm. to say the least. I remember I, where I was when I got the email saying that I had gotten put in Rolling Stone and I where was just you? like, I was at Rocco's Tacos in Mocha. <laughs> yeah, I was just hanging out, we were getting lunch and I got an email and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I like shouted holy shit at the table and everyone right. like turned around and yeah, it was a little awkward, but I was, I was, you know, stoked to say the least and it was just, it was a really cool moment right. and um, it kind of made me feel, it like empowered me and I just felt like, you know, honored i guess that you know out of anybody who they could have taken photos from they decided to choose mine Mm -hmm. um and yeah it was it was just a really awesome experience now rolling stone is huge for anybody and you've talked about your mother in photography but you also mentioned your uncle um what influence did your uncle have as it pertains to what you did as a when it comes to music so i don't speak to my uncle that much to Mm -hmm. say the least um but i think he was definitely you know really um stoked on it as well he yeah. was sharing my excitement for what had happened um my uncle's influence in the music scene has obviously been uh he's been doing work with the grateful dead for the last however many years mm-hmm. and it's definitely shaped him to be a pretty notable uh, figure in the music industry to say the least mm-hmm. when it comes to photography um so it was you know a little i don't want to say uncomfortable but it was definitely a little weird to be like hey i'm you know the nephew of this rock star for photographer right, right but it was also really cool to kind of say like hey i also you know can step up to the plate at times and right. manage to get some decent shots mm-hmm. i guess um but yeah i was you know i was really stoked on it when i i called him i think immediately after and he was you know stoked on it as well so right, it was definitely right. you know a good bonding experience i guess yeah. all around does he give you any tips or any pointers and stuff yes like that? um before almost every festival that I've done, I've probably called him or texted him to get, you know, some input on, you know, what I should do, how I should do things differently, what should make my work unique or stand out versus other people. And he's, you know, been able to provide that insight to me based off of his 30 plus years, you know, working as a photographer. So it was definitely um, really helpful. And the combination of his work uh, and his insights and my mom's insights have just, I mean, it's just been huge. It's been super helpful, obviously, and not something that most photographers, I feel like, get the opportunity to experience. Right. So after that first festival, obviously, the doors open to many more festivals. Which other festivals did you start uh, shooting after that? So it gave me the opportunity to... um, you know, to photograph a handful of other festivals. I tried to focus on ones that I would enjoy rather than just to get experience under my belt. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a really crucial piece of advice that uh, my uncle had actually given me was that, you know, don't just shoot everything just because you'll get burnt out. So I was really particular on ones that I did photograph. Um, I got to shoot Rolling Loud, um, which is a hip hop festival. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really cool. Hip hop is definitely, um, 
you know, a genre that I really enjoy listening to. So it was really neat to see, uh, or to photograph these people, these artists, and, you know, they're, they're definitely influencing pop culture and our current culture. So I thought it was even cooler that I'd get the opportunity to capture these people in their moment. Mm -hmm. Um, on top of that, I got to photograph a festival in Colorado called Grand Doozy Fest, which was amazing. Um, it was their inaugural year. So it was really cool to be part of that team and, um, experience a festival that was truly built from the ground up and get to see and experience how that's run. Um, I got to photograph Halloween, which is a festival in Swanee. Mm -hmm. Um, that festival is, you know, old and uh not old in the sense that it's boring but old as in they've got their roots down they really know how to put on a festival and it was a really cool experience to um to both be there as a photographer capturing it and to be there as you know a guest experiencing it um they put a really good show on and they're really you know tight-knit and well uh well organized and it was just it was a really cool time to to see to say the least right um i'm trying to think what other festivals that i had shot recently that i shot a Hangout Fest in Alabama. Mm -hmm. That was a really, really cool time. Um, festivals on the beach are not something that happened too often. So this was, in a sense, just a giant beach party. Mm -hmm. um, and I met some really cool artists there who, um, you know, allowed me the opportunity to get portrait photos of them and stuff that I normally would not have been able to capture. And getting to experience that was uh, definitely really cool. And it allowed me, you know, this unique opportunity to speak with them about what their thoughts were about it, how they you know, feel these festivals are run, stuff like that. And it's cool to get another perspective on, you know, how these things are handled, especially from an artist's view, which almost loops back into like the whole psychology piece, because I'm always interested in other people's mindsets and how they're viewing these things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now you're getting all these calls from all these big festivals, right? And you're getting call after call. These festivals are coming. So pretty much you're almost on tour, just like an artist is in that sense. How do you stay focused? Um, a lot of coffee and, um, a willingness, I guess, to succeed in both aspects of my life. Um, photography is obviously a really big piece of my life and something that I continue or hope to continue to do as a career. Right. But at the same time, I understand that, uh, the reality of it is, it, is it is a competitive field and I want to make sure that I have something to fall back on mm -hmm. if need be. And I feel like it's the most logical thing to do is to ensure that, I'm, uh, you know, expanding my reach as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So I kind of use that as motivation to ensure that I'm crushing out anything that I need to at the right. same time. Um, it almost equates to a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So it definitely doesn't give me the same opportunity as, you know, a full-time student who can spend all their day in a library, you know, crushing out homework. So I kind of have to take my work on the road and, you know, do it whenever it might be. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it's not as hard if you can find a, you know, quiet place and an hour or two to crush some stuff out. Right. But I try and be very organized with, um, with my days, especially when I'm working. And so I'll write out, you know, a block schedule of how I intend the day to go, mm -hmm. um, to, a, to the hour pretty much so that I can make sure that I take some time out of my day to do my homework or whatever it might be. But there's also the occasional day that I completely forgot and end right. up having to play catch up and, you know, 48 hours before an exam's you know, about a start, I'm like studying and just cramming for it. Right, right. So it definitely is a little bit of a struggle. Um, but I think I'm making it work and I think it definitely, it's almost exciting for me to see how I can turn this into like, you know, it's a giant game. I'm mm -hmm. trying to see how I can, you know, maneuver these pieces to make it work for me. And I think I've been successful so right. successful so far with it. Since you're getting approached by these festivals, do you get approached by artists on tour too? Um, so, yes and no. Mm -hmm. So, I've kind of pulled out of the music scene, mm -hmm. um, which has definitely um, kind of opened my horizons to some other opportunities. Why? 
it's really difficult to um, make a living off of music photography now. There's a lot of people who do it um, more so for the clout per se than for money, and unfortunately, you can't pay rent with clout. Right. Um, but for every one photographer who wants to get paid, there's you know 25 or 30 other ones who are willing to just do it just because they're saying that they're working with whoever it might be. Mm-hmm. Now, um, as great as that is, I like to consider myself an artist, and I don't think that my art should be free. So I'd like you know some sort of compensation for it, and my compensation should, in my opinion, should be monetary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know getting more and more difficult in this age of you know Instagram influencer and social media star mm. to. Um, to show why I'm different than someone else. And I don't really want to have to explain to someone what makes them feel like they should pay me. I feel like it should be tied in with the job. If I am working for you, mm-hmm. there is some sort of compensation that is happening. It's not like an added bonus. Right. Um, and so I was getting, you know, a little worn out with the fact that I was having to, you know, go back and forth with companies and explain to them, this is why I deserve to get paid. Mm-hmm. And rather than just being like, no, I, getting paid as part of the job. Um, so I, you know, over the last six to 12 months, I've been slowly pulling myself out of, uh, the music industry, I guess, and not really accepting as many opportunities that I had in the past and just kind of understanding that it was a really great time. And it's not something that, um, you know, I'm going to completely give up forever, but it's definitely not something that I'm going to keep my focuses on right now, I guess. Right. And I'm pretty sure you've made a lot of memories during that time. Absolutely. What was the craziest thing you've seen? Now, you don't have to name drop because I know you know a lot of names. But is there one crazy moment that you could share or maybe even some things that just happen consistently that people don't think happen? Um, I've had some very interesting, some very cool memories happen for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, at Hangout Fest, I got to meet uh, Logic, who's a hip-hop artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to meet him after his set and you know sit down and speak with him. And it was really like a surreal moment because I'm... I'm a very big fan of Logic, to say the least. Right. And uh, he just kind of like sat down next to me, put his hand out, was like, hey, I'm Bobby. And I right. was like, dude, I, I know who you are. Right, right. And, you know, I was a little starstruck, to say the least. And I st- try and stay, you know, pretty professional with most of these people when I meet them because I don't want to seem like this, you know, you know, ridiculous, you know, fan. But mm-hmm. I was definitely having to contain myself a little bit, to, uh, to say the least, um, when I did meet him. And it was definitely, you know, like one of the highlights of my, uh, I guess, my music photography career. Right. Do you get to party with the artists too sometimes? Um, not as often as you'd think and not as much as I'd like, right. I guess. But uh, there were co- times where we did get to, you know, hang out and enjoy ourselves, um, you know, backstage, post-set, or at the end of the night. And it was it was really cool to see how these guys, um, you know, act or interact with other people. Um, when they're not performing, some of these people are entirely different than what their stage presence is. Um, some are extremely nice. Some are a little um, not as nice, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's overall, it's just, it's really cool and interesting to see how, um, you know, fame and stardom and whatever it might be, uh, you know, influences someone as a person. Any regrets? Um, yeah, I probably should have broken the rules a little bit more, but, um, not really. I mean, overall, I think it was a pretty awesome time. Yeah, hell yeah. That's dope, man. Now you, pr- you mentioned that you were getting out of the music industry. Yes. So I've kind of transitioned over the last 12 months into, um, into something different. My, I, I felt like with my photography work, I've always liked outdoor work. Um, and I've always liked, you know, working with animals and I was having trouble finding my niche. Um, I had the opportunity to go to Africa two summers ago and, uh, do some photography out in Kenya. And we were out on safari for about three weeks. 
and I had an absolute blast shooting animals, but at the same time, unfortunately, I don't have leopards and tigers in my backyard. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, trying to figure out what opportunities I have here that, you know, allow me to take my passion for, uh, you know, outdoor work and animals and do something with it here. Um, and a friend of mine, uh, Kyle Soto, who's another underwater for underwater photographer from down here, uh, you know, let me go out with him one day and do some underwater shooting. And I, at the moment I got in the water and we were, you know, shooting some green sea turtles, it kind of clicked with me and I was like, holy cow, right. like, this is freaking awesome. And I was like, I can't believe I hadn't done this earlier. When you went to Kenya, was that your first time to Africa? It was my first time in Africa. Yeah. And it was, um, it was a trip to say the least. What was it like having this, um, I guess thought a perception of what Africa was prior to you going to what it, to what you saw when you got there? Um, I think media and, um, movies obviously portray Africa a little bit differently than how I had expected it. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like, um, it's just like raw unbridled wilderness the entire time. Um, there's actual cities there, you know, you wouldn't have expected it. Right. Uh, I thought it was really awesome. Um, we were in Nairobi for a few days beforehand. It was so cool to kind of speak with some of the locals out there, get an idea for how the culture is. Um, and I mean, it's not as different as here, I guess. Mm -hmm. it, it really, you know, there's obviously some major differences, but for the most part, everybody, you know, is enjoying themselves for the most part there's there there's like this obvious sense of you know happiness and excitement and you know it's bustling there's stuff moving around all the time right and i mean we might be half a world apart but it's pretty similar in some aspects yeah you're shooting animals now in I'm Kenya. shooting animals now take us in that moment what was what are some animals that you saw that you were like holy shit like oh this man is that there was a lot of stories of that mm -hmm. um our first day out there, I was like so pumped to wake up that like our wake up call was like 530. I think I'm pretty sure I was up at five. I was just like ready to go. Um, the way that they run safari shoots is you wake up early, you do a sunrise shoot, you're out until, you know, eight or nine, come back, have breakfast and you have like a siesta from like breakfast time until through lunch. Mm -hmm. You have lunch, you hang out on the local grounds and our first place we stayed at, um, the local grounds there had were still wilderness so we had giraffes and zebras come up to where we were staying like to the pool where we were at or the bar and stuff like that it was it was wild literally um and then you'd go out in the afternoon or early afternoon late uh late afternoon early evening for dinner go out until you know seven or eight and that was when you'd start to see some of the bigger animals would come out so i got to see um lions um, we got to see uh, leopards, cheetahs. Did you get uh, freaked out? No. I, I've i kind of accepted with all of this photography that like if something happens to me, at least there's like a really cool story behind it. Right. I mean, like now I'm doing my you know dives with sharks and I'm just like fully accepting if something happens, it happens. But I also think that situational awareness is pretty key. Um, these animals are a lot easier to read in my opinion than humans mm -hmm. because, you know, you, you can kind of sense it. It's like, if they start to get tense, they're uncomfortable. Right. Um, and it makes it, you know, I'd say more interesting, but at the same time, it, it made me feel a lot more comfortable. I knew that unless I did something to provoke these things, uh, nothing was going to happen to me. Right. And, uh, you know, I got relatively close. We had to stay in the vehicle the whole time, but we definitely got really close to some of these uh, lions and leopards. And it just, 
you know, I was just, I shot the whole time. I was just saying, you know what? If something happens, I got a really cool photo of it. Damn. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a trip to say the least. There was just some crazy times that every day there was like a new wild experience that happened. We would, you know, ask for something. Our guide would be like, hey, hopefully we'll see like a leopard get a fresh kill today. Later that afternoon, we had a leopard that had gotten a fresh kill. We were like, oh, we'd hopefully see a unicorn. And we saw um, like a garanook, which is like a small deer almost mm-hmm. that had like one horn down and one up. And it literally looked like a, like a unicorn. It was it was the wildest thing in the world. What is it called? A garanook. Oh, I never yeah. heard that before. Super cool. We had one named Gilby who was um, almost uh, like domesticated, I right. guess. Hung out on the campgrounds with us the whole time. Um, super nice fellow. Right. Hang out with us the whole time. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. He hung out with us the entire time. You'd go up, you'd, he'd come up for lunch, and we'd give him food, and just right. pet him, and chillest thing in the world. What was the friendliest animal? Was it that? Gilby was definitely the friendliest animal we had. Um, he hung out with us all the time. Any animals tried to provoke you? Um, No. I wouldn't say so. I think we had some... Uh, not opportunity experiences where we had uh, we might have spooked a rhino. We had a, we saw a rhino uh, mother with her calf or whatever you call a rhino's baby. I'm assuming a calf. A baby rhino. Baby rhino. Yeah. Um, her child. <laughs> and I think we spooked her a little bit because she was definitely kind of keeping guard of uh, her child and you know making sure that he didn't get he were, it was a male too close to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of it was really interesting to see how protective they are of their of their. How big is a rhino? They're pretty big. It's huge, Massive. right? Massive, yeah. And those horns are huge. That's... Yeah, which was another really cool thing to see. Um, most of these animals had rangers that would pretty much just walk around and follow them. To protect them yes, from... Yes, to protect them from poachers. Yeah, exactly. And it was really, really interesting. We got to meet um, at the at one of the places we were at. We got to meet the uh, the poachers, or sorry, not the poachers, the rangers. Right. And we got to you know get a tour of their base and how they you know operate. And it was really, really cool to see, you know, how they run things and how they make sure that these animals stay safe. Um, they have a really wide and diverse uh, group of people who work there. And, I mean, it's really cool to see that they're all, you know, united in the same passion of wanting to, you know, keep these animals alive and mm-hmm. thriving. All right. You mentioned that you're shooting underwater now. Tell us more about that. So, yeah, I got, uh, I got introduced to underwater uh, by a buddy of mine, Kyle Soto, who's been doing it for a few years now. Um, and... I want to say it was a almost two years ago now, maybe that I, you know, tried it out. I thought it was really cool. We've got a couple spots right by us here that uh, have green sea turtles uh, living as residents almost year round. And I went out one day with him and his extra camera and took some photos and was like, "Wow, this is really cool. I'm capturing something that people, you know, don't really get the opportunity to see, especially people who aren't near the ocean mm-hmm. or who don't, you know, get to really go out there and dive." Um, and Obviously, there's, you know, with what's been happening in the world lately, be it climate change or, um, you know, things that are affecting animals, I thought it would be really cool and in a sense helpful, I guess, to, you know, take my work and give it some freedom, I guess, to have people see, you know, this is what's happening to these animals because of, you know, human actions or whatever it might be. Um, But at the same time, it kind of gave me something that I could be passionate about and, um, you know, turn into almost like an art in a sense. Mm -hmm. And that's why I've been trying to focus more on it from a fine art perspective with also, um, with also kind of an educational aspect, I guess. Right. And so for the last, you know, year and a half, I've kind of split my time between, um, turtles and sharks. 
and I'll do uh, whenever I get the opportunity, whenever the water's clear and, you know, conditions are good, we'll go out to the beach out here and go and take some photos of these sea turtles. And then when uh, the opportunity arises, I go out, um, you know, out up, we go up north to Jupiter, um, to Jupiter Inlet, where it's, you know, pretty close to the Gulf Stream. We'll go out and we'll go shark diving there, mm -hmm. or I've had some other opportunities to go out and um, capture sharks out in the Bahamas and out in Mexico as of recently. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really cool to see a, these sharks in their natural habitat and B, to be up close and personal with some of these animals. Um, when we're going off Jupiter in the Bahamas, we don't use any cages. Everything is completely free diving. Um, and we're interacting with these sharks. We're, you know, if they come up to us, we're going to, um, we're going to move them. We're going to, you know, uh, I'm forgetting the word for it. We're going to push them out of the way mm -hmm. and, you know, readjust their course. Um, and at the same time, I'm getting the opportunity to, uh, you know, take photos of these guys and right. something that most people I don't think really have any interest in doing. But at the same time, I feel like it is a really cool educational aspect because I'm showing that these, these animals aren't, you know, these murder machines that the media makes them out to be. Right. They're actually really intelligent. Um, and they're, you know, really, really cool to see in their natural habitat. They are, um, by far one of the most interesting animals that I think I've ever taken photos of. Right. And it's just absolutely wild to see how they've evolved and, you know, survived over the last you know couple hundred million years that they've right. been alive um and it's really cool to see you know an apex predator in its natural habitat now that segues perfectly into what i wanted to ask you next is because you've shot land animals and now you're shooting underwater too what are some of the major differences you see in the interactions between the underwater animals that they have with each other and the land animals as well um, obviously no shit yeah. water and land you yeah know what I mean? it definitely but, um you know it adds it adds a different perspective to it, from my part at least. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the animals, for the most part, interact in a pretty similar way. Their mm -hmm. goal is to, you know, survive. So um, that can be done off of a handful of different ways. When we were out in Africa, um, you know, we'd see a leopard go out and stalk and, uh, you know, an animal for hours maybe to try and, you know, capture it and eat it. Mm -hmm. um, with sharks or some of these other animals. Um, they, they also were scavenging, but I feel like they're opportunistic and their goal is to see something that will allow them the least amount of effort to capture and eat. Um, and I don't think sharks are as picky. Um, mm. You know, they, they, they're willing to really eat anything that they can put their mouths on, I think. Right. Um, but it's also, they're not going to do something just based off of, they, they don't want to create a struggle. So at the same time, they're definitely really similar to land animals in the sense that they they do look for something that's easier, you know, um, will not make them have to, you know, exert a ton of effort to capture. But there's, you know, I feel like there's, obviously I can't speak for the animal, but it almost seems like there's a different thought process that goes through to see how they're going to go about capturing it. Any whales yet? I have not. I'm hopefully, my, one of my bucket list animals is uh, orcas. That's like, fingers crossed, it would be the coolest experience in the world. Right. Uh, how many different types of fish do you think you've seen so far? A lot. I can't really count them. I've seen... Um, Anyone stick out? Well, I've seen a handful of different species of sharks. Um, just a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go um, 200 miles off the coast of Baja, California, and we got to capture great white sharks uh, migrating. Um, and that was an unreal experience, to mm -hmm. say the least. Uh, getting to see great whites in their natural habitat underwater was like, holy shit. How many sharks do you think you saw? 
Uh, I think we saw about 10 different sharks in the time we were there. Mm -hmm. A lot of males and a couple females. Um, and it is, they're, they're really something else to see that much, just like raw power in an animal was like, like I got goosebumps every time I saw them breach. It was just, it was the craziest thing. And it also really helped me because I've been working on this, um, this fine art series for the last, you know, six to eight months. And I felt like there was this crucial piece missing from it. And after I got some of my images from, from out there, I felt like I kind of got my last pieces of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just, it was like a really, really cool experience. Before we dig deeper into the fine art series that you're working on right now, um, you mentioned climate change, which Mm -hmm. is huge and is definitely affecting the ocean a lot. Have you noticed anything going on with the coral? Yes. Um, so I was out in Hawaii, uh, a few months ago and, you know, we we went out to dive a couple of days we were there and the dive masters who we were with were saying, you know, the places that we're going to go out to are really cool. They've got really bright, you know, uh, exciting coral in the area. And we were all really stoked. We thought it was going to be an awesome time. Uh, and then the weather kind of changed for me to go to a different location where they also said they hadn't been in a while, but there was, you know, really great coral. It was a really cool experience. We got out there and dude, it was like destroyed. The coral was all dead. Uh, it was bleached. It was, it was, it was just gone. And it definitely, you know, was really wild to see um, that this is, you know, affected what we caused or humans caused this and the just the, I guess, lack of regard that we have for some of the things that we putting into the ocean. Um, But I also feel like there's a lack of education that's been going on as well. There's not really a lot of people going out trying to explain what the issues are and what can be done Mm -hmm. to proactively change it. And just a lot of like, yeah, it sucks. Like, sorry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I try and use my work as a platform to, you know, express what can be done, what, uh, people, what an individual person could do differently to, um, to change some of their habits that they do. I mean, Hey, when we go out on our dives, you know, just regularly, I'll see, balloons in the water we'll see plastic bags we'll see you know all sorts of things like plastic trash that doesn't need to be there it could be thrown out or put out responsibly but instead it's just kind of like tossed in there and it's just it's really sad to see that um there's just like a lack of regard for our planet and yeah it's like you know we're in this age right now where technology is booming we potentially have the opportunity to move to another planet but it's like are you really going to shit on this one so much that we need to move? It's like, we live in a pretty dope place and it's, there doesn't really need to be this need to destroy it so quickly. And I think it's, you know, increased over the last, you know, 20 years and this, um, this degradation has just kind of like sped up. Um, and it's, it's just, it's really wild to see. I think there's some companies who are doing a really good job, um, you know, voicing their concerns and trying to find ways to change. I think this uh, plastic straw ban is huge, especially when it comes to the turtles. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen those videos or stuff, Mm -hmm. but, you know, plastic straws get stuck in their noses. It it gets caught in their throats. And um, the the way that plastic works, is it looks just like a jellyfish. I've, I've shot turtles where we thought it was a jellyfish in the water and ended up realizing that they were about to eat a plastic bag. And it's like just it's ridiculous. Um, so it's definitely, it's, it's, it's a pressing issue and it's something that hopefully, um, you know, can be, something can be done to change it. I think there's some, uh, people, like I said, in companies that are working proactively to try and change it, but there needs to be, um, you know, a little bit more emphasis on it, I guess, to say the least. The fine art series. Fine art series. So, um, 
the fine art series is something that I've been, you know, wanting, working on and wanting to create for a while. Um, when I think of photography and I think when most people think of photography, they don't necessarily think of it as an art form, especially because from a commercial perspective, anybody can take a photo now. I mean, our iPhones take as great photos as some of my old DSLRs did. Mm -hmm. So, um, it made me feel like I wanted to do something that was unique and compelling, but also, like I said, provided a story with it. Um, so I've kind of been struggling to find, like, I wanted to find a purpose behind my work, I guess, something that would be my driving force. Um, and so working with these sharks and turtles, I felt like it would be really interesting to create a series that each photo had its own unique story with it that incorporated into a bigger picture. And in this uh, series that I've been doing, which I still haven't even finished curating because I, to be honest, it's, it's really difficult. And I right. just, I'm, there's so many different things that are How long have you, know, you been working on it for? Um, since January. Okay. Yeah. So even actually a little bit before that January was when I kind of decided fully like, all right, I'm committing to this. I have this series. I need to, you know, add the last touches to it. But then each time that I felt like it had been completed, it wasn't. Um, and so what I've been doing and I've been sharing it on so some of my social medias has been, um, you know, I have a series of photos that uh, the animal is almost in, encapsulated in darkness. Um, well, my other photos are in light. And so I think it's very interesting because growing up, um, I had a very black and white viewpoint on things. I wasn't good at seeing the gray. Um, so I felt like these works in a sense embody that, but at the same time, it's not a straight black and white photo. There's, there's color in it, there's vibrance and it's, it's my shades of gray in a sense. It's mm -hmm. something that, uh, almost expresses that there is no black or white to things. There, there is a deeper understanding, I guess, would be the way to put it. There, there's more to it than just this or that. And so uh, each of the works that I've done in those dark series have kind of had some sort of, you know, contrast to them, I guess. I don't really know how to describe it. That's why I'm still kind of working on it. Um, you know, hopefully I'll have a, a better explanation, I guess, within the next couple months. Mm -hmm. But for now, it's been more of like a a searching process to see what the true um, meaning for it is in both the way that I feel like it should be and how I want to express it to other people, if that makes sense. Are these the land and the underwater animals? Too? These will solely be uh, an underwater work. Mm. Yeah, this will only have my underwater work in it. Um, I feel like the land animals will have their time, um, but right now I don't feel like it uh, it's conveying the message that I'd like to put out with my work. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you plan on submitting it anywhere? Um, cause art Basel is right around the corner. Art Basel is right around the corner. Um, I don't have plans to submit it to any public galleries yet. I've, I've put out some feelers with my work and gotten some, you know, good feedback on it. But actually, as of right now, I have a gallery that I'm with the series. I have a gallery that I'll be presenting within the next few months mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that I'm kind of working on the logistics for. And that'll be uh, presented down in Fort Lauderdale. Right. Um, and that'll kind of be my stepping stone into really diving into this full fine art industry, I guess. Right. Um, I've had some really great um, people who have been helping me 
uh, you know, walking me through the process, I guess it's a lot more than I had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with my work, I, I like it to be, like I said, pretty cut and dry. It's, it, I, I look at things really black and white, even though I shouldn't, but I thought it's like, you know, you create the work and you put it out there. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, I want my work to have meaning and I want to make sure that this meaning is, uh, conveyed in an appropriate manner. And so I want to make sure that I do it right. And I don't want to just kind of jump into it and, see how it goes. I'd want to make sure that it goes the exact way that I want it to be. How do you know when it's ready? You know, I don't think you ever really do. Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, it's a leap of faith. And that's something that I also, you know, am going to end up needing to go into is I'm sure I will continue to say there's things that need to be done to it. There's things that need to be tweaked, but there's going to come a point where there's not many other things that can be done. And I just need to go for it and, you know, see how it turns out. Right. Um, Ultimately, I'm confident that it'll be a successful experience and something that'll, um, you know, give me great insight into how this world works. But I think that I need to continue to build up some uh, some confidence with it before I really finish it, I guess. Out of all the success you've had, you've had Rolling Stone, you had all the festivals, you've had your work shown in multiple different places. You're still building confidence. Yes. Um I'm extremely self-critical of my own work, probably more than I should be, but um, I think it just kind of comes with the game. Um, I never think that my work is uh, good enough, worthy enough of being presented, whatever it might be, Um, and that's just something on me. It's a self-growth piece that I obviously need to work through, Mm -hmm. but I'm a little bit... I stress myself out more than I need to, um, more often than I need to, and there definitely needs to come a point where I'm just like, dude, it's good. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You've put your, you know, you put your heart and soul into it and it's obviously going to turn out. I just need to continue to work on that confidence piece and be like, reassure myself that right. it's all good. Everything will work out. There's no if, and, or buts. It, it's going to work out. Do you have a favorite camera? Um, I have a favorite brand, I guess. So I grew up shooting Canon. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Canon. I, I shot Canon for a long, long, long time. About two years ago, uh, this outdoor and wildlife photographer, um, Chris Bricard, not even wildlife, this outdoor nature photographer, uh, came down. His name is Chris Bricard, and he was down in Miami. Um, and some of his uh, employees had gone out with us, and we went uh, wake surfing before his screening for a movie that he came out with. And I tried uh, their Sony cameras and was like mind blown by uh, the quality of them, uh, how small they were, and how rugged they were. Um, and just the image quality. And I was like, okay, I'm switching to Sony. And, um, ever since then I've been pretty much solely working with my Sony camera. Um, it's 42 megapixels in a, you know, full frame sensor and the body is half the size and half the weight of my Canon camera. Um, and it's just, it's really crazy to see such a big punch and such a tiny thing. Um, and it, you know, allows me the chance to carry more gear that's not as heavy and it's a lot more versatile. Um, I can get it into tighter spaces. I can move around easier. Mm -hmm. Um, I I really dig Sony gear. I'm probably going to stick with them for the, for the future or for the foreseeable future to say the least. You mentioned social media a little bit earlier and how pretty much anybody could take a photo nowadays, but obviously you're a little bit different. You're a professional photographer. You take your work seriously. Do you get approached by like the Instagram models and things like that about taking pictures for them? Is that something that interests you? Do you feel like it's kind of played out now? You know, what are your thoughts about that? I think the age of Instagram and social media has been really uh, 
interesting mm-hmm. to say the least. Um, I have been approached by companies and individuals and been asked to, uh, you know, photograph them or photograph their companies or whatever it might be. And commercial work is definitely, uh, great. It's a really good resume builder and it, you know, provides a, if you do it right, a steady source of income. But, um, I, I kind of struggle with the vision and find and kind of having my vision match what the creative director's vision might be. Um, I like to put a unique spin and perspective on things and occasionally it's not necessarily the same, uh, vision that the artist or the, you know, model or whoever might be wanted. Give us Um, an example. Man, that's difficult. Um, I shot for a, uh, I shot for a clothing company, um, in Miami. It was a year ago, I believe. And the way that I had set up or wanted the shoot to set up was entirely different than what the marketing director had wanted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I totally understood what he was looking for. And I started to, you know, change my, the way that I was shooting to, you know, make it more like what he wanted. But in the end, I felt like it, it just felt weird to me. It didn't feel natural. It felt forced and it didn't, the flow wasn't there. And I, I, when I'm shooting, I like there to be this, this flow. And since I get into like a mode where I'm just like, I'm not paying attention to other things. I've got my shooting going on. I'm, I'm getting it done. And I feel like I'm capturing stuff in the way that I want. And I didn't have that. There was like this like constant, like, like it was like, like a tick behind your ear. You're just, mm. you're like constantly trying to think like, oh, this, this isn't natural to me. Um, and it was kind of at that point where I was like, huh, maybe I need to take a step back and, you know, not do this as often as I had hoped. Um, and, and that's kind of like the advice that your uncle gave you, too. It's pretty yeah. much like, don't just shoot random yeah, shit. Yeah, don't just shoot just because you want to shoot. Shoot mm-hmm. stuff that you want to shoot. Shoot stuff that's passionate to you. Um, and I, that's what I try and do now. There's, I, I definitely still do commercial work. And um, when the opportunity arises and it's something that I find interest in and think would be a good fit for me, I'll hop right on it. But I'd also like to put my input into it as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. I want my creative uh, advice, my creative interpretation to be um, you know, something that is... Uh, it's thought of when, they're, when we're working or creating a body of work. I'd like my input to be valued. Um, and that, that's definitely a big piece and that kind of helps or that kind of shapes how I want to shoot commercial work. Do you have a dream shoot? Um, I have a dream shoot. Yes and no. I'm really bad at shooting people. Okay. Um, that's but at the thing. same team, yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I'm really, I don't feel comfortable shooting people, uh, right. which is ironic, obviously, because I feel like. Uh, I, I should feel comfortable shooting people. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, you're around people all the time. And I'm, but my, I think my communication is really poor in some instances. And when I kind of get into that mode of shooting, I don't communicate the way that I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to do like, like my dream shoot would be like some sort of, uh, you know, like fashion shoot almost. I think it's really neat to do like a... Uh, really? Dude, I but not like, not like your regular like run and gun digital shoot. I want it to be... Like, I want to use an old-fashioned 120 millimeter film, um, like a medium format format film camera, Hasselblad, Rolleiflex, something like that, and do like straight portraiture. Mm. So it's like, I don't even know how to describe it, but I, I want something that's like clear. It's like a black and white, super contrasty, like or something classic. Yeah, like yeah. like classy. That's that's definitely, uh, and I'm really bad at it, so I doubt it's ever going to be something that you know 
I'll get the chance to do. But like if the opportunity arises, you know, I'm never opposed to it. And I, I enjoy trying some of these things that are obviously outside of my comfort zone because it helps build me and, you know, round me as a photographer. But, um, is it something you want to work on? Like you want to practice? It's not my direct focus right now, but you know, when, when I do get occasional chances to do it, um, I, I will. And I have plenty of friends who enjoy being in front of the camera. I personally hate being in front of a camera. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with my hands mm-hmm. or my face me or too, the rest of, of my body. Yeah. Um, but I've got plenty of friends who in, enjoy getting their picture taken and it, you know, allows me the opportunity to practice and experiment and do things that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable doing mm-hmm. in a professional shoot. And it's really neat because I, in a sense, have uh, limitless opportunities right. to test how things will work. But, um, if I did ever get, you know, asked to do some sort of uh, fashion shoot or something like that, and it was uh, for a company that, you know, I was interested in and uh, thought it would be valuable to both my portfolio and uh, to the company, I would probably say yes to doing it, even if I did, you know, a really shit job at it. Right. Now, there's a lot of people who obviously want to go into photography, like you mentioned earlier. Any words of advice for them? Um, yeah, do stuff that's outside your comfort zone. Um, like I just said, obviously, you know, don't stick to just one thing. Uh, but at the same time, it's a double-edged sword. Find the things that you're good at and hone in on those skills. I'm not good at fashion. I'm not good at people work. So I've honed in my skills on doing underwater and natural work where my only variables are me, my camera and the animal or the, the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, experiment, and take risks, but also find what you're good at and, you know, get it rock solid. Um, always be, you know, willing to work with people who you might not necessarily want to work with because you'll get really great insight from them. Um, I try and make a new connection or friend at every event that I go to. Um, I try and, you know, make sure that my network is extremely expansive and I can reach out to someone in every continent, um, and feel like I have someone who I can speak to, uh, in any way shape or form um and you know enjoy yourself that's like a really big thing i think that there's especially with the social media there's so much emphasis on succeeding that people don't really realize that we're supposed to like have fun and enjoy ourselves too like life isn't supposed to just be like you know work your ass off and then die it's like you know enjoy what you're doing have some fun with it don't just fucking sit at a desk and you know (laughs) crush it out it's like really like I want to have a fulfilling and fun life and I think that everyone should you know and if you can find something that you know allows you to take your passion and put it into something like this go for it don't just kind of stick with status quo because it's what you're comfortable with don't stick with status quo because it's what you're comfortable with a gem if I haven't heard one before huge thank you to Max and thanks guys for listening Be sure to subscribe to Product of a Dream on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to follow Miami's Not America on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time, I'm Johnson Francois, and this is Product of a Dream. Happy holidays, guys.